Well, good morning again. Teachers and bridge kids, thanks for singing with us. Can you go back to your rooms? Thank you, youth group, uh, for sharing your stories with us and encouraging us and spurring us on in our own faith. And thank you, church, for praying, praying for our youth group. God's doing amazing things in our hearts. Uh, This morning we are going to be in Matthew chapter 9, so I invite you to turn there. If you do not have a copy of the scriptures, raise your hand and we can get a copy. You will need one as we don't have scripture up on the PowerPoint. Consider this. Jesus is fully God and fully man. The hypostatic union. It's this big theological term that that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. It's kind of something we are really confused about because we can't wrap our minds fully around. We don't fully grasp that God, one person, can be 100% of two things. So Relax, I'm not going to give a theological lecture on the hypostatic union this morning. But I want you to reflect and consider, um, what, what do you think about when you think about Jesus? Do you think that Jesus, do you think about him more as God, you know, the Son of God and all these righteous, great, holy, good things that he does, and he is now seated in heaven on the throne? Or do you think about him fully as a man, fully experiencing flesh? Uh, when you think about it, Jesus life wasn't really much different than ours. It wasn't ways, but, you know, when he got hungry, he ate. When he was tired, he slept, and he was dirty, he took a shower. You know, he hung out with friends, he spent time with his family, and he went to work. He had work to do. Now, Jesus' work, obviously, is much different than the work you and I experience, and you and I carry out day to day. But Jesus experience the fullness of what it meant means to be human the emotions the suffering uh, as i was re- researching and reflecting on on this passage in matthew 9 uh, i was i was thinking you know there's a big important game going on this afternoon you guys don't really want to hear me talking too much so i was gonna you know this there's a really short verse in the bible um, and that would be a really good verse to talk about, you know, Jesus being, being human. Um, so that's a little teaser. I'll, I'll let you know what the shortest verse in the Bible is a little bit later. Um, but also consider Jesus. Jesus spent time praying, um, you know. Okay, he's fully God, but also, also he's fully man. Jesus spent a lot of time praying. He prayed all night. He prayed before big, important decisions. Um, so let me ask you a question. And I want you to consider it uh, throughout our time this morning. When, when do you pray? When, when do you pray? Think about it. Now, I'm going to take a second and pray uh, for our time this morning before we open the word. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done in your life and in your death on the cross to give us freedom and victory over sin and power to live a holy life. Thank you for your word, how it instructs and teaches us. Pray that you will help my words to make your truth come to life, to be real to us. And I pray that you will give us ears to hear what you want to teach to us this morning. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, turn to the last couple of verses, verses 38 through 35 through 38, excuse me, and that's going to be the text for us this morning. Um, remember, my, my copy of the Bible is from the ESV translation. It's a little bit different than uh, the NIV translation, which is what some of you may have. Uh, but this passage is actually very similar, um, so I won't spend much time talking about the differences. But allow me to read it. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So what, what is this passage about? Is it just kind of a, a plain, plain reading? It's just a couple of verses, right? And okay, yeah, Jesus, he's this good guy. He went about teaching and healing. He had this ministry, and oh yeah, he did it kind of with his heart. And okay, yeah, he got his friends involved. And then after, you know, after we read this, the next part is, okay, yeah, he sends them out. So he prays for them to send some laborers out, some workers out, and then he goes and send them out, right? So we could kind of just walk through this passage, and it's kind of, could be simple, right? But I think there's something much more, something much deeper to learn about the heart of Jesus. First note, Jesus has the eyes of a shepherd. Jesus has the eyes of a shepherd, See, Jesus, as he was going through and doing his ministry, it says that he saw the crowds. He saw the people. Jesus has an eye of a shepherd. Um, in the context here, what it's kind of saying is, you know, Jesus saw these people who, um, they didn't have somebody taking care of them. They didn't have somebody meeting their basic needs. Ezekiel chapter 34 reflects us back to this, what God wants to say about the people who are supposed to be shepherding the people of um, Israel, the people who are supposed to be their leaders. And God says, you shepherds, I am against you. You're not taking care of the people. You're feeding yourselves. You're not feeding the sheep. You're fattening them up so that you can kill them and feed yourself. You're not clothing them. You're clothing yourself. You're not healing them. You're not taking care of their illnesses. You're not comforting them when they're sick. You're not seeking them out when they're lost. You're not doing these things. And at the end of chapter 34 in Ezekiel, he says, I will send my servant to be their shepherd. My servant David will be their shepherd. Now, he's not literally talking about David the king. He's talking about David's lineage. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus was the shepherd. He is the good shepherd. So what is Jesus' perception? What are his eyes of a shepherd look like, and that is compassion. As he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. You may have heard a, a common phrase or a, a, a definition of compassion. It goes like this, your pain in my heart. You know, compassion is when you really feel something about somebody else's pain, about their experience. I think it goes a little bit more beyond that. I think that's only part of the equation. Um, so we kind of need to peel back and look at what is, 
compassion? What is this really meaning? What is this talking about? So this word compassion, um, in the Greek, this is the very first usage of this in the scriptures. Now, I know what you're thinking, you know, there's uh, two-thirds of the Bible here that has to talk a little bit about compassion, right? Jesus, or excuse me, God, uh, God was compassionate. In the Old Testament, God had compassion for his people. Well, this word is very unique. It's not used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So this word is a, is a new word. Um, commentators like to think that the the gospel writers, the people who wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that they kind of created this word to identify this um, feeling and this emotion and this action. They created this word. Um, perhaps also um, this word is a word that Jesus coined. In his parables, Jesus used this word to describe the feeling of the father when his prodigal son came back. He used this word to describe the actions of the good Samaritan when he helped the man along the road. So compassion, this is the very first usage of this word. And what does it stem from? What is, what is this word really meaning? Well, it comes from the word splagna. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of goofy, but it literally means bowels or spleen, right? So what, what does that have to do with compassion, your, your intestines, well, it comes from that word. In the other part of the word, it means to move. It's an action. It's a move. So it's not just this inward feeling. It's not just this emotion. But it is the outward expression of this internal experience. You see, Jesus, Jesus saw people. So, so what, what, what does that mean, Jesus saw people? He saw them for exactly who they were. You know, he, he created the whole world. He remembers that they are flesh and bones. He saw them as people. People make Jesus hungry. Did you know that? People make Jesus hungry. John four thirty five in a similar passage, um, if you want to flip over there, it's kind of interesting story. You can uh, read it as I'm talking. Uh, but a very similar situation that Jesus is out doing his ministry, and he's kind of working tirelessly. And his disciples say, Jesus, Jesus, stop. Let's go get something to eat. You know, right? That's what his disciples are thinking. Come on, we've been working so hard so long. Let's go get something to eat. And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of God. Open your eyes and look. The harvest is white. The harvest is ripe. Jesus is hungry for people. Now, I'm not literally talking like he's a cannibal. You all know that, right? <laughs> I'm not literally saying that Jesus wants to eat people, but he's hungry for it. Like we talk about hungry, like um, a sports. If somebody is going after a catch or going after something very intense, they're hungry for that. Um, if somebody is striving after uh, uh, education or they're doing something very passionately, they're hungry for that thing. So Jesus is hungry for people. He's passionate about people. Let me ask you something. What, what do you see in your, in your life experience? Do you see people? What, what do you see? Do you see, you know, your coworkers? That just, is that just the guy who does that job at work? Um, friends, is that, just, um, is that just your 
your good friend who you do this activity with? Um, you're in your family, is that just your, your parents or is that just your, your kid? Um, but do, but do, you, do you see them as people? I think when it comes to compassion, our, we've become so desensitized to compassion. You see, uh, marketing experts like to use this uh, idea of compassion to, to spur us on to do something. And then they tell us what we have to do, right? Like, you know, we see this kid very starving and hungry and okay, okay, give them money, right? And that's, that's a good thing. We should be doing things about these things, but they use this kind of empathy, this emotion to get us to do something because they have things that we should be doing, right? But media also kind of desensitizes us in another way. You know, we hear news reports. Um, well, five people were shot the other day at the mall, and in other news, the stocks are down, and the weather's going to be, you know, news reporters, they just want to state the facts. That's all they're concerned with. Their job is to tell us the information. Their job is not to internalize it for us and tell us how to feel and what to do about it. So we've kind of become desensitized to problems. But when Jesus sees these people, what, what does he see about them? What's kind of driving this internal experience that he's having? Well, here it notes that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, right? We, so we talked about how Jesus was their shepherd and how they didn't have anybody caring for their needs. But what is this harassed and helpless? Well, harassed kind of literally comes from uh, the word means to cut or to lacerate something. So, like, if you've been feeling like you just have something that's kind of jabbing at you day after day, it's kind of just always there. Is there something in your life that's kind of just bothering you? It's always like the knife in your back that's, ah, there's just something that's harassing you, right? Jesus saw that on these people. He saw that there was something about them, some event that was causing them some harm. The next word is, is helpless. And helpless, this more identifies their constant state or there's the reality of their experience. Jesus saw them and, and they were just helpless. They were kind of thrown out, tossed away, and they're just left kind of to fend for themselves. Jesus just saw them, you know, in their own experience and he knew that they were helpless, that they could not do it on their own. You see, compassion when we really understand and we want to break it down, compassion is seeing somebody else's helplessness, their own makeup of who they are in their reality. Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14, describe how the Lord is compassionate. It says, as a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. For he remembers our frame and he knows that we are dust. See, Father has compassion on his children because he knows what they are. He was there when they were born. He knows that they're just humans. He knows they're people. They're prone to helplessness. The Lord knows that because he was there. He, ex he made them. He knows that he didn't have to you know, experience it um, to, to feel that. But when Jesus became man and took on his flesh, he did experience it. He did grasp what it meant to be human fully. So in Jesus, when he had compassion, what did he do? Well, um, 
in the rest of the gospel, it says that Jesus was led to, in his compassion, he was led to feed hungry people, you know. So, <clears throat> excuse me, in the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 or feeding the 4,000, it says that his compassion led him to do this. When Jesus healed a leopard or healed a, a blind man, it says that Jesus' compassion led him to do this. In reality, because Jesus is God and he is full of compassion, his whole ministry is a ministry of compassion, right? Jesus went in agony to the cross because of compassion for us. When Jesus experienced human suffering, though, in his fullest, what did, what did Jesus do, right? Jesus, Jesus wept. That's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. Jesus experienced the death of a friend, and the other people were around him weeping and crying and wailing, and, and Jesus himself shed tears. He literally, as a human being in flesh, experienced this suffering and was moved with compassion to cry about it. So we, we kind of know there's helpless and, and harassed people going you know, experiences and things going on right in the world and we hear about it every day there's abortions there's human trafficking there's things going on in other countries that are not good people being used as shields and people being sold into slavery um, there are just so many things that we've been inundated with people are harassed and helpless so what what do we what do we do right what do we do that's what we want to think about okay what What's the next step? Well, okay, well, what would Jesus do, right? That would help us kind of to figure out what we should do, right? No, what, well, what did Jesus do in this context? What did Jesus do? And that's kind of what we'll move to next. But a thing that we like to do in our society is we like to send missionaries, and that is a fabulous thing. We send about 100,000 missionaries a year into other countries uh, on long-term missionaries. About 1.5 million people go on short-term missions from this country a year, and that is, that is a great thing. We need to be sending people. We need to be going ourselves, if that's the Lord's will and his call on our lives, to be going and experiences those, experiencing those things. But you know what? Especially with short-term missionaries, they go and set out to change the world, and often they come back changed themselves, right? <laughs> You've probably heard that before. They go and they think, oh, I'm going to do all these great things and I'm going to save so many people. And those are great aspirations and prayers. But then they come back and they themselves are full of compassion for whatever they've witnessed and they've, they've seen on these, excuse me, on these people. If our goal is just to do, we will never get there. You see, the needs are exponentially increasing because of sin. There will always be Beanies. We can never send out enough missionaries to meet all of these needs. We would love to, right? And, you know, financial gurus might think that they have the answer that might solve the problem of poverty. And I'm not saying that we should not give money and help people who have the needs. We definitely should be doing that. But we're not going to get there if we're just giving money, right? There will always be people who are abusing them. There will always be people who are taking advantage of them. There will always be people who are greedy and sinful, right? So the needs are exponentially increasing. They're far beyond the weight of what we can do. So what did Jesus do? Jesus' compassion in his internal experience 
was moved in his compassion to pray. In my favorite book uh, on prayer, if you ever have a chance to read it, I highly recommend it. Ole Halsby, this old Norwegian guy, wrote, Prayer is helplessness. Prayer itself is helplessness. You see, when we have empathy on somebody, that's part of the equation. Their pain is in our heart. But when we experience it for ourselves, we become helpless, and in prayer to God, we experience compassion. That is the fullness of what compassion is. Compassion equals, if you're a mathematician, compassion equals empathy plus prayer, because prayer itself is helplessness. So Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray earnestly. It's not just asking. It's not just saying the words, saying the rituals. It's praying earnestly. It's a constant state of experience. It's crying out and pleading because you yourself has, have experienced that helplessness. If you want to influence these people, if you want to help these people, there is nothing better that you can do than pray for them. You might think that, hey, I might go and do this, or I might go and do that. That might be a great idea. Why not pray about it? J. Oswald Sandals, Sanders, excuse me, one of the greatest leaders and most influential leaders uh, of a couple centuries ago, wrote, prayer influences men by influencing God to influence them. Prayer influences men by influencing God to influence them. Additionally, uh, R.A. Torrey says that prayer is the key that unlocks the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. How would you like to have God's infinite grace and power in the light of your own helplessness, in the light of the helplessness and plight of the others around you? Some of you read a, a book recently, too busy not to pray. Maybe your excuse is, well, there's so many needs and I've become so encompassed in doing all these other things and helping people, which is good, but I'm too busy to pray. That's just another thing, right? Well, you have enough time to sleep and to eat and to breathe. When you consider the importance and the significance of prayer, you will have plenty time to pray. Plenty of time to pray. This doesn't mean that we need to sit for hours and hours and hours and beg God to do something. We may be called to do that. We may want to do that. That may be a good thing, but it doesn't mean we need to do that. We just need to experience it in our hearts and be moved to pray. Why, so why pray? What, what is the difference of prayer? What difference does prayer make, right? Well, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? So if you want to do something for these people who you have compassion for, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask or pray, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Pray. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, prayer identifies that we are entering the throne of grace to receive mercy and help in time of need, right? 
<clears throat> so when we're experiencing somebody else's pain and suffering in our heart, that is a, a time of need, a time of help. So, so pray and ask God to give grace. Ask God to bless the situation. Psalm 46 also reminds us of what it is to pray. It says that God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in time of trouble. You see, you may have compassion for something that's not physically existing in your sphere of influence. You may have compassion for something that's going on in the Middle East. You may have compassion that's for something that's going on uh, in another country. You, you can pray. God is the very present help. He is an omnipresent God. He is at all places at all time, and he can literally do something about it while you are sitting here praying about it. He is a very present help in time of need. Later in the psalm, it says, uh, my, my favorite activity, which is very difficult, but it's my favorite activity. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Do you think, think about that? Being still is an activity. It's not an inactivity. It's not doing nothing. Be, it's being still. Be still and know that I am God. I created the world. I created these people, and I care about them way more than you do. You may be experiencing in your own heart some suffering, some experience about their, the depravity of their situation, but I am God, and I care way more about it than you do. You see, Jesus didn't just say, all right, guys, there's some needs over here, so I'm going to want you to go over there and do them. Jesus said, I want you to pray about it because I want you to connect with my heart on this issue. I want you to understand what my heart is for these people because once you understand that, you can move into a situation where you're actually fulfilling the needs that are there. Right? So we have, we have the first commandment, love God, and the second commandment, love others. We need to do them in order. Pray and then do. Love God and love others. They're both important. Let's not forget one to do the other. Right? Jesus called his followers disciples and apostles. Right? Students, people who were with him and learned from him, and apostles, people who he sent out to do ministry. They are both. We need to understand that we are both. Lastly, Jesus, before he, excuse me, before he left this earth, gave the church a great commission. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. And then he promised that he would be with him. That, my favorite promise in all of the Bible is that Jesus promises that he will be with us when we are trying to do this great work that is beyond us of making disciples. Uh, the bridge, as Kevin shared earlier, has a similar mission. We exist to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ, right? We want to help them first connect with God and also to develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. If we ourselves are not connected with the heart of God, how are we going to help them connect with God. We may want to do certain things or perform certain activities which are helpful and good, but if we are connected with God, if we have his heart of compassion, 
or their situation, how much more effective is our work? How much more do we understand what he is leading us into? So, the harvest is the people. Jesus is hungry for people. He's passionate about his people. What are, who are the people in your sphere of influence, in, in your workplace, in your family, in your home? Consider this. They are still his harvest. It's not your harvest. It's not your job to do it. He may be sending you to do it, but it is still his harvest. As I, as I wrap up, I want to make a couple of observations and, and challenges to you. <clears throat> the, first, the first is simply pray. Uh, when, when do you pray? I asked earlier to consider that. Uh, and do, you, do you have an answer? You don't need to tell me. Um, but maybe you, maybe you want to tell somebody else to hold you accountable. Uh, maybe you want to tell somebody so that um, they can check in on you or that they can help you establish a plan of what it looks like to pray. But when, when do you pray? Uh, it doesn't mean that you need to sit here and fold your hands and uh, meditate or say a few words. That's not what I'm saying. But when do you pray? Uh, my, own, my own experience, my, my job allows me to uh, walk around a huge warehouse and I count stuff. That's basically all I do all day. So I have tons of time to pray while I'm at work. <laughs> um, but, but what do you do in your job? Is there uh, minutes or, or sections of time where you can simultaneously do one thing while you're also praying to God? Um, maybe you, you are going to be uh, signing up to run the marathon uh, coming up, the half marathon coming up. You're going to be spending a lot of time doing some, some training. You're going to be spending a lot of time running, running on the roads. Um, what are you thinking about? What are you doing while you're running? What, why not pray? What greater thing to do than pray? Uh, you're asking people to um, help you um, generate funds for these people who need clean water, why not ask them to pray with you a minute for every mile that you run? Um, please pray, pray. That is the greatest thing that we can be doing. Next, turn your passions into compassion. See, Jesus was passionate about his ministry, right? He went through all the cities and all the villages. Every single one, he was just running around doing all this stuff. He was passionate about the word of God to teach it to people. He was passionate about the kingdom of God and living for God and holiness. And he was passionate about physical uh, situation of people. He was passionate about healing them, but he turned it into compassion. Now, I have, I have a story to share with you about uh, turning passions into compassion. And as I uh, get, to, get to share it, I need to say um, that... This is uh, just part of the story. I realize that this is just part of the story of a, of a much uh, bigger story. And, and also, uh, the people in the story um, really are just wanting to glorify God. So this story uh, is about myself and my friend, John. See, John, uh, John grew up as a Detroit Lions fan. <laughs> but J John grew up uh, when Barry Sanders was, was really popular. He is, John's a smaller guy. He likes to run, and so he was a huge Barry Sanders fan. If you're not familiar with football, Barry Sanders was one of the greatest running backs of all time, and he played for the Detroit Lions. Uh, I met John a couple years ago, and uh, he was involved in my Bible study, and we began to have a discipleship mentoring relationship. Um, 
I, I really enjoy football, and so we kind of had a, a related on this experience of, of sharing our passions about football. Um, in recent years, the Detroit Lions have not been very good at all, and to much to their own dem demise um, because of penalties and personal character, uh, bad character choices that they would make on the field. So one day I was relating to John about, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to even watch the game? They're getting so bad. He's like, yeah, I don't even know what I can do. And I said, John, why don't you pray? Why don't you pray about it? John, pray for them. So John and I began to pray for the Detroit Lions. John and I began to pray for the Detroit Lions. A year later, their coach was fired, and a new coach got hired. This coach, Jim Caldwell, is a very godly man, uh, a disciple himself of Tony Dungy, if you may know who that person is. Jim Caldwell is a godly man and instilled character into his players. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, there are reports going around about the Detroit Lion players now mentoring and discipling the younger players. Um, and in most re recent news, the Detroit Lions lost a playoff game because, par large in part, because of a penalty, a situation regarding a penalty. But, interestingly enough, that penalty was not caused by their own lack of character. Rather, it was a poor judgment, but the Detroit Lion players, in large part, handled the situation very calmly. Um, recently, John uh, related to me. Uh, he just—he was just so elated. He said, "Praise God! God is doing great things in the city of Detroit." What? God is doing great things in the city of Detroit. God is answering prayers in the city of Detroit. Yes, John and I believed because of prayer that we were doing. Neither of us have been to Detroit recently, but God was answering our prayers. Larger story going on here, obviously. But he is doing something. So turn your passions into compassion. What is it that you are passionate about? What do you spend your time thinking about? What are the things that you go online to read articles about? And what do you spend your time uh, wanting to do? Turn those into compassion. Think about the people that will be affected. Think about their depravity, their situations. Internalize the experience and turn it into prayer. Pray for those people. You may be passionate about some country overseas. You don't have to go there. That would be great if you would go there. But pray. You can literally do something here. I recently heard an article about um, this couple who was missionaries in Japan for 15... Uh, Japan, excuse me. Iran. They were ministry mi missionaries in Japan. In <laughs> Iran. <laughs> Iran for 15 years. Very few, very few, very little fruit. Very few disciples. They had to come back. Um, they're still praying. They're still praying. And now they have multiple churches being set up, multiple disciples everywhere being, being made. And they're asked, well, what are you doing now? What's your ministry now? They said, our ministry now is larger than when we were over there. You see, they're still here. They're still praying about it. Their ministry now is larger than what it was when they were there. They still have the same passion. They still have the same compassion in their heart. Turn your passions into compassion. And lastly, think about his harvest, right? What is his harvest? His harvest is the harvest that's around you. He has the power to work in and through you to do it when you come to him in prayer through compassion. Let me pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your care for each of us. Thank you for your heart of love and compassion that you don't want us to just sit in our situation, but you have done something about it. You have sent your son to experience our flesh, lived the perfect life, and died on the cross for our sins. Help us to come to you in our experiences, to see people the way that you see people, to have compassion for them. God, I pray that as in our time this morning in the word that you have touched us and moved us and equipped us to become more like Jesus. I pray that in the coming days we would see fruit from our time in the word together. In Jesus' name, amen.